Well, good morning. We're in this series called Stolen Identity, and uh, I just am so grateful. I mean, I, you see the cover of this, and we don't give acknowledgement often, but Lindsay, who did the announcements, does these. And always so creatively, and so I'm so grateful. I don't know where I am, where you went to, Lindsay, but I am grateful for the way that you help us in that. And we're in this series, Stolen Identity, and I, I um, am grateful because I've had so many people over this last week just share how God touched your heart through last week's message. And so I encourage you because I think it's an, foundational as we go through this series that you have an understanding of of that message. Um, and I, I need to share with you, I, I was at the Free Church Conference in Chicago this last week in the Naperville area. And uh, one of the things that uh, I was asked to do, I flew down there and I was flying back. And my daughter and my sister had talked and they had wanted me to bring something back. So it was something that I couldn't transport in my carry-on. So I had to check it. So I checked it um, and, and put it in there and um, kind of... Went all the way here home, touched down at about 12.31 p.m. on Friday, got here. And you know how people rush to look at their phones? Just, you know, they turn them on to see kind of what you missed in that, you know, whatever time you've been flying or whatever. Um, so I, I did that as well. And, and I turned it on, and, and there's a message. Um, and it's from Sherry, who is our uh, receptionist. And, and she kind of said to me right away, you know, we, we, we need to talk. Um, I'm really concerned. I got a message from you, and um, I'm just wondering. It doesn't sound like you. So she said, it, it said, would you like to help me out with something very important? Having been so busy, would have called you to give you details on what to help out with, but can't right now because I'm in a, a meeting presently. What follow up. You know, she got that and thought, okay, yeah, he's there. He's probably in a meeting. And, and she says, yes, I am. I'm, I'm available. And the, and the next one was, okay, thanks. I need you to help my purchase of an Amazon gift card from the store urgently. <laughs> Which is something I do quite often. So it's not, you know, no. It needs to go to someone very important. I'm, I will embrace you today once I'm done with the meeting. And and she said, you know what, before I do anything, she went and she contacted me. Well, I found out later, in fact, just moments later, that a whole bunch of people had been contacted with that message. And it was wonderful. I got all these gift cards. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. So I... You know, I, I'm on the phone and thank God for Pat Olson in our church who does all our IT stuff. And, uh, I get on the phone with him. So I'm walking down, you know, out of the airport. I'm just busy talking, finding out what do I need to do? What do you need to do here and stop? And, and he gives me all this information and he, um, tells me make sure that we contact people. And I'm kind of in the process of doing that. Get back to Sherry back and forth. He calls me back, kind of says, Hey, look at, you know, you need to realize it's probably not a stolen identity, but it kind of an impersonation thing. And he just told me that probably in the airport when I was working on stuff for church, Someone oversaw, looked, whatever, and saw that I was with the church and then created an email. Anyway, stole my identity. I'm going, in this series, I can't believe this. 
I'm going, Satan must be mad. And uh, I, I go through that whole thing and, I, you know, my mind is focused on that and I drive all the way back to give that checked on luggage to my daughter and I pull up in her driveway. She lives right out here in the western suburbs, you know, so it's a 40 plus minute drive, get to her place. I get out of my car, go to open the door in the back because I put it there, I thought, and I realized I never picked up the checked bag. So I never even went up to the door of my daughter's home. I just got back into it because I knew. Now I'm worried not about stolen identity, but my bag being stolen because it's going to go around in this carousel. And it took me 40 minutes or so back, 20 minutes to finally find it and locate it. 40 minutes back. It's just the cost of stolen identity hit me in that moment of like two and a half, almost three hours of wasted time. Hours talking on a phone, making sure things weren't right, going back and, and looking at a lot of my passwords and making some changes. I, I spent an inordinate amount of time and energy, and that's just for a little bit of impersonated identity. It is so important, folks, that we realize how critical it is that our spiritual identity and what gets robbed from us is so much greater than even what our kind of identity with regard to finances and other things. There are so many things that get robbed from your life. The joy, the love, the peace, the ability to walk in a right relationship with God and with other people. There's all kinds of things that go on. There is a huge impact that you can have in this world if you walk in the identity that God has given you. Jesus said a a mustard seed of faith can do incredible things. And if you have just a mustard seed of trust, it's so sweet to trust in Jesus. Even those lines in in in, in in that song. A mustard seed of trust in the reality of the truth that God is deeply in love with you. He didn't create something that he wanted to throw away. He created people, you, he loves so deeply. And just a mustard seed, just a small little bit of investment of our energy into this love and allowing that love to form us makes a huge difference in the way we live. Jesus went to the cross so that he could give you this identity. He wanted you to know this new identity. He wanted you to know that he knows you blew it. He knows that you've sinned. He knows that you've separated yourself from God. But he wanted you to have the right relationship with you and with God. And so he, he goes and he takes your sin and he removes all that from you so that you can now receive the fullness of the love of God. Not, not living like he's angry and he's mad at you anymore. Actually allowing for you to begin to realize that he doesn't just love you, he likes you. Can you believe that? I would love for you to do this. There's a time in my, my life where I, I began to do this and it was kind of crazy, but I'd look in the mirror and I'd go, you know, God, you're crazy about me. What? Yeah, I'm laughing. He is. <laughs> I read those voices from my... No. 
actually hold in my journal a picture of myself when I was about four or five. And I look at that and I go, you know what? God loves that kid. God loves you. I don't know what you need to do to remind yourself of how important this is to get into your being. And you're not just list, you know, losing the costs in a two, three, four hours and, 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 and a bunch of time spent trying to redo things. It's, a, it's your impact on the lives of those you love the most who live with you. You're, 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 if you're married, your, your wife or your husband or, or your best friend or, or the people that your children and your family and, and the people you work with walking in the love of God, just the mustard seed size of trust in that. Jesus said moves mountains. It uproots trees. It makes a huge difference. Just think about it. The way that the Father in heaven loved his son, Jesus. And let's face it, he was, he was the oldest son, perfect son, did everything right. You know, the, just everything about him. He was the perfect big brother. You would look up to him and go, Wow. It wasn't a hypocritical bone in his body. God, the Father, loves his son. You understand why, right? And this is what he says. Because of what he's done on the cross, he's given you his identity. Perfect, sinless, just like him. And he says, I love you that much. The Father loves you the same way he loves Jesus. Think about that. Let that sink in. Your immediate response should be, but that doesn't make sense. That's not right. It isn't right because of you. It's right because of what he's done. And it's right because of how much the Father loves you. And it should change the way you live. It will, it will make a difference in the way you view things and you understand things and the way you see things. So let's get into the message, okay? God is for you. It says in, in Romans 8, 31 through 2, if God is for us, who can stand, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son and gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him? If he gave us that, won't he give us everything? He does. That's yours. So let's get into this. I want you to notice, I want you to look at Jesus. We're going to look at Jesus. Last week, we looked at the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And, and again, I'll just tell you that message is so foundational. The reason Jesus gives us this model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and it starts out, Abba, Father. It's the first words formed on a baby. Some of you have had kids, or some of you are going to have kids, or some of you are having them right now. Those first words are so cool. When they just, you hear them, da, da. Or for me, as a grandfather, Papa. First time, he just, and he says, call your, your father in heaven, Abba, which is the Aramaic for Dada. And then he goes on and he tells you how incredible it is that Jesus begins with this word and the prayer continues because all, this prayer is all about identity. He says, pray this again, often and thoughtfully, because your father God who lives in this heavenly realms, which is not up there, it's this realm of the spirit that's all around you. And his will, which is being established here on earth, just like it is in heaven, he says daily, he will give you what you need. He will be compassionate and forgiving. You can count on him to love you, and he will lead you and protect you. That's the foundation. Now let's look at how it makes a difference in the life of Jesus. 
Mark chapter 1, verse 19 through 13. Note the difference that takes place in how Jesus viewed temptation. Because of this deep love that he knew from his father. It says in verse 9, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Note that he saw heaven being torn open. He saw the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. In the next sentence, at once, at once, the Spirit sent him into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with wild animals, and angels attended to him. The thing I want you to notice of first importance, again, is this, this movement of the very first thing that happens, he's baptized, identifies with us, but he's baptized, and, he, and, and his father does all that he can to establish once again before he begins ministry how deeply loved he is. You are my son. I really deeply love you. I think it is interesting that identity is so critical that the very first thing that happens as Jesus begins ministry is is a reaffirmation of this sense of identity. Isn't it? That the very first thing that would happen is he, he's moving into this ministry where he would go through some very difficult times where he would face some real deep temptations and trials. And the very first thing God does is establish his identity. Now, I, I've never had this kind of experience before, but when I came to this church and I candidated to this church and I was doing a funeral before I actually candidated, and I was in the process of deciding that this is the place that God had, was calling me. I knew that where I was at, I wasn't using my gift of teaching and preaching, and I knew that God wanted me to get back into leading and teaching and preaching a church family. And so I was going through this whole process, really, should I do it, should I not? And I do this funeral, and it was a funeral for someone who had committed suicide, left behind um, two middle school kids, and this place was packed and I was preaching and I, it was one of these experiences where you're speaking it's like you can almost stand outside you and go wow, as God was talking I got done with it and honestly and I shared this with some before as I walked down the stairs I heard in my spirit Kevin, this is what I called you to do and this is where I called you to do it I haven't had that kind of call to other places but I had that call here because what happened in the next periods of time was a really difficult time and it was that which anchored me there was this sense of anchoring Kevin you're my son I've called you to do this I want you to do this this is what you're called to do here that was so critical for me and I have to share with you that in that process in your life there may be times when God just he really impacts you with a sense of deeply how deeply he loves you because he knows that you need to have an awareness of this Because at once, look at this, it's critical that you live in the Spirit and that you are able to see and hear what the Spirit is doing. Because at once, the Spirit sent him into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted. I mean, he faced Satan. We emphasize two things at this church, and that is that we will be a church of the Spirit and a church of the Word. We believe that it is important that we learn how to walk in the Spirit, listen to the Spirit, hear the Spirit, see the Spirit moving. Jesus was very much into that. He said, I saw, I see what my Father's doing, and I do it. 
You have to ask, what, is it, what does it mean to see what your father's doing? It means he's able to look out and see how God, his father, is at work. And so when you think about that, that's actually what's happening here. He sees the heaven being torn open and a spirit like a dove descending on him and a voice that calls out to heaven. And that sense of identity of having this relationship that's alive with God changes the way you live. It's not a dry thing. It's not just I go to the devotions and I try and live this thing out. And It's about a living relationship where God is speaking to your heart and your spirit. Do you know that some people that day, when he was being baptized, only saw a dove descend? But I just saw the spirit. You know that those eyes, when you have the eyes of the spirit, you begin to see the things. And you see in those things the work of God. Do you know that some, because Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, heard the voice of God, and some didn't. Think about that. Read scripture the way that scripture is meant to be read. If you look at one other passage in John chapter 12, verses 28 through 30, at one point Jesus goes, Father, glorify your name. And it says, then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Could you imagine standing there and Jesus says this and all of a sudden you hear this voice? Well, listen to what it says. The crowd that was there and heard it said it was had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. In that very same thing, some only heard thunder and others heard the voice of God. Jesus felt loved by his father in very tangible ways and he lived and he walked in it and it is critical that you walk in this sense of identity of this love of God and you begin to live this relationship where it's alive, where you are conversing with God and you're living with God in such a way that it's not some God who's way out there, it's this God who lives in the heavens all around you like he says, Abba, Dad, you live in the heavens, not way up there, but you live right here, you can speak to me, you can walk with me, you can guide me, you can protect me, you can provide for me, you're the kind of God who's alive in my everyday life and with the eyes of faith I begin to see the things that you're doing and with the the ears that are able to hear I begin to hear what the Spirit of God is doing, it transforms the way you look and live in life. In living in his father's love and affirmation allowed Jesus to view temptations. Think about this. Here's what I want you to notice. Here's how it changed the way he lived. It allowed for him to see temptations as tests that would refine his character. At once, the spirit sent him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with wild animals, and the angels attended to him. Isn't it interesting that right after you feel God wrap his arms around you, isn't it? You know, as you get your arms wrapped around you, isn't it interesting that all of a sudden, sometimes the next thing that can happen is you find yourself in a place of temptation. You find yourself in a place in a wilderness. And what's the first thing you do? He's probably like me. He's, God, did, did you really? Are you really with me? Do, do, you, you, do you really love me? God allows us to go through times of wilderness and temptation in order, as Jesus viewed it, was to test him 
to refine his character, to stretch his muscle of faith, so that as he was in this wilderness, in this time where it was really difficult, his, his, his muscle of faith in the Father's love for him was being strengthened. Okay, it's really critical to understand this. The word in this verse, temptation, can also in the Greek be the word test. Jesus saw the temptation that he had in that moment of 40 days where under three different tests, he was trusting God. He was trusting in God's way, bringing about his his um, role as the Savior. He was trusting in God's timing and how he was going to bring it about. It was all, not just a temptation, he viewed it differently under the Father's love. Father, in this, you have allowed this to happen. And I don't know if Jesus consciously was aware fully of why this was happening. He was both fully God and fully man. And in his humanity, I'm sure, Father, he lived just like us. We're told that. And he walked this out, trusting in the wilderness that this test would develop his character and strengthen him. And he remained in a place of trust. How do you view maybe the wilderness you're in right now? How do you view this time where you're tempted to act in your own strength? How are you viewing this temptation to do it in your timing? And God's saying, no, just stay holding on to my love. I will provide. See, how, how you view your temptation depends on how well-formed your identity is in the fact that God loves you. And I, I tell you, it is so difficult, right? You know, you go in those times and, and, and to go back and say, okay, you told me this as I went down steps. Am I going to hold on to the truth of what you say? And Jesus did. Every wilderness experience is meant to strengthen and improve your character. Right now, God is really concerned about growing you up in him. And the way he grows you up in him is by forming your sense of identity. So that you can cry out, even in this wilderness, Daddy, Abba, Dad. I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer again because I know that you're going to provide. I know that you're going to protect because you've made that promise. You love me. Well, as the second thing I want you to notice, notice the difference in how Jesus faced opposition. Because Jesus was so cued into his father's love and lived in the sense of identity that he was his father's son, I think it's really interesting how Jesus was able to withstand the dispro- disapproval of others. He was able to walk through life with a sense of his father's approval and so that he could come against others who opposed him. His family heard about some of the things that Jesus was saying and doing were told in Mark chapter 3 verse 21 and they went to take charge of him for they said he's out of his mind. How would you like that? Oh Jesus, you know I know he had all these things at his birth but he's a crazy man right now. Even your family doesn't believe you. Mark continues, and the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, now these are the people, these are the kind of call them the spiritual cops to make sure everything's kosher. 
He's possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. It's by the prince of demons he's driving them out. And here's my favorite passage of scripture. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It's one of my favorites. I got a whole bunch of them, but this is one of them. Then Jesus left them and went again into the synagogue where he encountered a man who had an atrophied, paralyzed hand. So the guy's sitting in the service and maybe they're doing worship and some people are clapping because um, Jewish worship is not like a lot of us. I mean, there are some people who really kind of, but Jewish worship, you got, it was a body experience, okay? And, and this guy's got an atrophied hand. So, you know, he, Jesus obviously could see that. Everyone was watching Jesus closely to see if he would heal the man on the Sabbath, giving them a reason to accuse him of breaking the Sabbath rules. That's why I call them the spiritual cops, right? Let's give him a ticket for that one. Can't believe he would heal somebody on this day. And so Jesus, you know, watching, Jesus said to the man with the paralyzed hand, stand here in the middle of the room. This is, talk about the guts of Jesus. Okay, come on down here, just stand right here. Can you imagine that? I want you to stand here, says Jesus. And then he turned to all those who had gathered there and said, which is it? Is it against the law to do evil on the Sabbath or to do good? Is it to destroy a life or to save one? But no one answered him a word. Can you imagine that if I was to ask you, are you to do good or bad today? We want to do bad, but anyway... No one says anything. Then looking at around at everyone. So here's Jesus. He just takes a scan. He looks at everyone. He's looking in their eyes and looking at their hearts. And he's looking at them. It's just, I don't think God can believe it. He looks around at everyone and Jesus was moved with indignation. He was angry. And grieved. He was sad. By the hardness of their hearts. And he said to the man, now stretch out your hand. And as he stretched out his hand, it was instantly healed. I, I, I read that passage and I'm, I'm so amazed and so moved at the, at the incredible courage of Jesus in the face of opposition. I'm so moved by the way that he was more about, because of his identity and his father's love, it meant more to him for his dad to go, good job, than it did for those significant ones out there. Here's the reality. We all know this. With certain people who are significant in your life, let's just say in your business world, and you get a boss and you get in a situation, your boss has the ability to promote you or punish you. We live in a world by... People be either promoting us by approving us or punishing us with disapproval. And what are you going to live with? Whose who's, who's love, whose who's approval, who, whose desire for you do you want more? And Jesus said, I, I, I want you, Father. Uh, you just cra- you're crazy about me and I'm crazy about you and I'm going to do what's right and what's good no matter what. What's really interesting in this passage of scripture, it says, after this happened, the Pharisees left abruptly and began to plot together with the friends and supporters of Herod Antipas on how they would kill Jesus, which is an interesting statement because you bring the Pharisees in and then the Herodians together, which are two different groups. It would be like saying Nancy Pelosi and the left-wing Democrats got together with Trump and the right-wing Democrats and they were deciding how to oppose a common enemy. That's supposed to be kind of funny to think of that. Right? Really? They could even have a common enemy? 
Here's the common enemy that the farthest left and farthest right would come together around. They came around a guy who would heal someone else. Isn't that amazing? They came around a guy named Jesus who was not afraid of them who is more convinced that what he did before his father was more important than what he did before them. Think about that. It's, it's hard for me to live. I, I want to please. I want to please people. It's really easy to go, you know, I'm really concerned about what they think about me. and So I'd rather have them, through my words or whatever, to shape my sense of identity so they go, oh, he's a good guy, rather than listening to the Spirit of God going, hey, no, this is something you stand up against. I'm not talking about being ugly kind of stand up. I'm talking about the kind of thing that you may be in a marriage. I'll just give you an example. You may be in a marriage and you're in a situation with maybe a husband who's speaking somewhat abusively to you. Do you have the ability to stand up and say, you know, it doesn't matter what his anger is going to be. It doesn't matter. And I'm not talking about physical anger. I'm talking about just standing up and saying, no, stop it. Let's just, let's not go way on the extreme, but just in a situation where you go, no, stop it. That you cannot talk to me that way. Because my Father in Heaven loves me. I'm talking about standing up against things that, that oppose what is right and good. No matter who it is around you. That you might go, boy, I'm a little bit afraid to stand up to this one. I really need their love more than I need the Father's love. Like we could go into a whole lot more about that, but it's just, where are you at right now? You may be in a situation where you're, you're, you're in a, a, a young family and you've got in-laws and you're kind of going, how do we stand in, in what is right and in what is loving, even though it may mean that they may not be as happy with us? I mean, that gets down to earth a little bit, right? Note the difference of how he understood suffering. So he faces temptations and he sees them as tests to his characters, which we can do. He comes against this opposition and a desire to approve and to be you know, pleasing others. And he stands in, in his identity of his father's love. And now I want you to notice suffering. Last Tuesday morning I was meeting with one of the guys group that I'm a part of and We've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and we were reading together Mark chapter 14, and I had just done this message on, on, um, on the Lord's Prayer where he says, Abba, Father, and I'm, I'm reading the story of Christ and his disciples as they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're reading it together, and it just hit me deeply as we're reading that, how much in the garden Jesus suffered. So much so that I think, in a sense, he died to his will in the garden, and then it was a matter of walking out his will of the Father with all the suffering and physical pain and everything else to the cross. Think about that for a second. That's why prayer is so important. We think about prayer as being, oh, I'm just going to ask God for this. Prayer is coming before God and saying, God, here's my heart, here's my will. What do you want me to do? Jesus says, Three times, Father, if you could do it some other way. Three times, and Jesus, every time, silence. And he knows the Father doesn't give him a different direction. This is it. Got to walk it out. He dies there. He sweats blood. He dies in prayer. That's what our prayer life should be, not just as individuals, as a church. 
We, we should have this heart that comes together and we pray together and we die to our own, what we want. And we say, God, only what you want. We don't care about the approval of others. We don't care about pastor tradition. We don't care about it. We care about what you want right now. So he, he dies in prayer. Here's what hit me. Okay, it wasn't all that. Anyway, uh, they went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus um, said to his disciples, sit down here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And he said to him, my heart is overwhelmed in anguish and crushed with grief. It feels as though I'm dying. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he walked a short distance away and being overcome with grief, he threw himself face down on the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, he would not have to experience this hour of suffering. He prayed, here's what hit me. Abba, Father. In the midst of suffering, his view of his God, his view is daddy. Ah, this hurts like crazy. You sure you want, you know, it's, it, it wasn't about physical suffering. He is smart enough to know how to disassociate from physical pain. I don't think he did. He stayed in it. He didn't even take anything to drink in order to deaden the pain. He knew his father would look away from him because he was going to bear your and my sin. He cried, Daddy. Would, what about a different way? And Dad was quiet because they talked about this. He knew in his heart. He knew the Old Testament and he knew this was the path. And he looked at suffering different because he had a dad who he knew he loved him. And he said, Dad, I love you so much. That's why his dad loved him so much. I'll do whatever you want. You ask me to do it, I'll do it. I'm going to trust that you love me even in the midst of suffering. Even in the midst of suffering so that other people, you and me, could be saved. And I just ask you to think about this. We talk about a church with a vision that says, you know, kind of this idea, imagine church that does whatever it takes to serve this West Metro in the name of Jesus. And, and we talk a lot about serving right where you are. Just, I just ask you, are you willing to be even inconvenienced a, a, a little bit to help someone know this love that comes from the Father? Is it really that hard to come around something the Spirit of God might be asking you to give money to? Is it really so difficult to to say, you know, this is not a person I really enjoy, but because we all have those, right? But you're prompting me to spend time with this person. And it's like suffering. <laughs> but I'll spend time with my wife. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I'm not going there. <laughs> Shoot, why didn't I think the church chairman or something like that? Darn, that was bad. Well, anyway. I just thought, Dad. Dad. 
I'm going to do what you've called me to do. Your identity is so important. Your identity is so important. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? Can you look in the mirror every morning and say, God's crazy about me. I'm not saying he's crazy about your sin and what you did. He's a good father. But he's crazy about you. And he just wants you to confess it and say, you know what? And once you confess it, he says you're forgiven. So I'm going to ask the team to come forward. and I'm going to just go through a short little exercise with you. So I ask you to bow your head in prayer, would you? With your head just bowed right now, I want you to ask yourself, what are the lies that you are believing about your Abba Father? Just listen with your heart. What are the lies that you are believing about your Abba Father? Just quietly, not with your head, but with your heart, just listen. What are the lies you're believing about yourself? It's how your identity gets stolen so often. You hear voices like, I'm just not worthy, I'm not lovable, I'm ugly, I'm inadequate. And what is God saying about you? Throughout scripture, he says you're his child, you're his friend, you've been justified, you're one with him in the spirit, you've been brought with a price, you belong to him, you're a member of Christ's body, he calls you a saint, been adopted as God's child, you're free forever from condemnation. He says you're secure that all things in your life, he will work them together for good. You cannot be separated from the love of God. You are hidden with Christ, for he is your identity. What are the lies you are believing about yourself? And now I just want you to take just a moment and listen to the Spirit of God. Let Jesus speak to your heart. What is the truth? This can be transforming. You may see an image. God might give you a picture. You might hear an impression on your heart of some words. He might give you a scripture. But listen. 
What is the truth the Spirit of God says to you? Just say, Jesus, Spirit of God, speak to me. If you've never opened your heart to Jesus and you, you've just been checking it out and you're not sure, and maybe you've been far from I, I'm going to ask you right now just to open your heart and say, Jesus, Lord Jesus, forgive me my sins. I confess them before you, and I invite you into my life, into my heart right now. I ask you that. Just in prayer, just tell him, Jesus, come into my heart. And for some of you, you, you've never said, Spirit of God, just live and fill me and, and come through me. And so in the same way, just say, Spirit of God, fill my being. And listen. We did this Mentimeter. I hope this works here. But if you could show us what came up as the words that you said. This is who Jesus is. Beautiful Jesus. Let's stand together and sing this little song together. Oh Lord, how beautiful. Sometimes God gives kind of weird or different things. And just ask him, press into it and say, God, what is your calling me? Or talk to someone who's mature, who you know knows the word of God. And just and just let yourself begin to understand what God might be saying to you. Some it might be just so crystal clear. Let's tell him again and let's sing this again. Oh Thank you 
We love you. We're so grateful that you love us. And that you did all that you did to come to this earth. And Jesus, that you would leave the throne. You would come into a cross. And you would take the punishment that we deserve. And that you would set us free so that we could live in the identity that you yourself enjoyed before the Father. We, we, we walk in this, God, because we know the difference this will make. As we view our, our wilderness times. As we, we come against things that might oppose us. And then, God as we suffer and allow you to live through us and that your love and our love together will transform the lives of people around us that you call us to the love. We thank you and we praise you. And we say this in the name of Jesus. We say together, amen. Let's say amen. Amen. Father, thank you. Before you head out, I just have a couple instructions.